Hey everybody, this is Matt Love. Welcome back to Ask Me Anything with Pastor J.D. Greer. Um, and as you've noticed, we've done this a few times, but you know, over the past 20 years, Pastor J.D. has tackled so many difficult questions from the pulpit um, that then we've been able to cover here on the show. And so it's nice to just be able to take some of these teachings that he's done, these original teachings he's done, um, and just uh, let you hear them here on the podcast as a way of answering some of the difficult questions that he's answered from the pulpit. So um, we're going to do that today. And today's question um, may sound simple and may start some of you head bobbing or uh, dancing, but I think we all know it's not as simple as it might sound. Let's see how Pastor JD answers the question, what is love? So as I walk through these, I want you to think not just of your spouse or of you know, your future marriage partner or your kids. I want you to think of some friend in the church because that's the better application and how you're doing in these, in those level of relationships. You can apply it to marriage, yes, but, but, but make sure you don't lose the context, the church. Verse four, Paul said, love is patient and kind. Patience means that you expect others not to be perfect. And you're okay with that. You don't need them to be perfect. One of the things the Holy Spirit has been recently dealing with me about is how little patience I have for others' dysfunction and how much patience I expect God and others to have for my own. I'll think about somebody else's weakness or their dysfunction and just, I mean, to be quite honest with you, despise them for it. But I realize I got way more problems in God's eyes than they do in mine. And I ask myself, what if God accepted me like I'm accepting them? Love is patient, love is kind. Kind here really means in Greek, considerate. It means that love considers others' needs instinctively. It's not just happy when it's okay. It's concerned about you being okay too and can't be happy until you're happy. Naturally, we consider ourselves. Love considers the happiness of others also. It can't rest when they're unhappy. Love does not envy or boast. To not envy means that you, you rejoice in somebody else's blessings. Get this, even when you aren't experiencing that blessing and you really want to. What happens to you in your heart when that person gets the house that you always wanted or that promotion or that boyfriend? Or how about when their ministry or business grows and yours doesn't? Parents, what is your attitude when somebody else's kids are doing well and yours aren't? I mean, it's fine to be sad about your kids, of course, but are you envious of them? Do you despise their blessings secretly wishing that their kids would struggle too? Love is not like that. Love rejoices in others' blessings, even when you aren't experiencing them. How about when somebody else gets honor or recognition while you are being overlooked? Love delights in the happiness of others, even when you are unhappy. Love, Paul continues, is not arrogant. I mean, arrogant just means thinking, always thinking about itself preeminently, always focused on its rights and its entitlements and what it thinks it's deserved, believing that you deserve the best. You deserve blessings and you're irritated when other people are not delivering them to you. Love is not rude, verse five. Some scholars translate rude as dishonoring. And I think that's probably more of what Paul had in mind. Love doesn't dishonor a person by treating them like a commodity for the fulfillment of your needs. That's what Paul said. Evaluating somebody else by how well they fit into your little scheme of what you think you need in life, emotionally, sexually, or whatever, like cogs in the machine of your happiness. Paul puts those two together back to back. 
um, by the way, arrogant and rude because he's saying that a person of love doesn't approach life as if life is all about them and it's everybody else's purpose in life to provide happiness for them. So he continues that thought, verse five, love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. When you live with self-focus, you see other people as coming into your life primarily to fulfill your needs. So you wanna make sure they play their part. And if not, you get angry. By the way, one of the big instruments that God uses to break this mentality is marriage. Because theoretically, you now have somebody that you're supposed to focus on more than yourself. But every married person knows, here's the irony. Most of us commandeer marriage to get somebody else focused on our needs. You're like, well, up until now, I've only had one person who got up every day thinking about my needs. No, I got two. That's what both of us do. We get up and think about what does JD need? That's all we think about all day long. So God in his magnificent mercy sends along his second instrument, his masterclass in breaking the back of our selfishness, children. Because those kids are not gonna be thinking about any of your needs for a long, long time. Amen, <laughs> parents? My kids, my kids are good kids, they're nice kids, but especially when they were young, they never, never one time did they ever look at me and say, dad, man, you look like you've had a hard day. What can I do to be a blessing to you this evening, dad? <laughs> With kids, quite often what I want out of a day or a vacation doesn't happen. In fact, I, I stopped calling our vacations vacations because there was no vacating happening at least by me. They were not vacations, they were escalations, if anything, for me. I'd come back angry and disappointed that my vacation was so exhausting. So I've told you, I changed, I changed the name from vacations to family trips, and that helped. I, it, it's mainly I'm happier because I just changed my expectations. I know that if I don't come back from a, vac a vacation more tired than when I left, I probably wasn't a very good dad. Love takes this attitude toward others in your life also. How many times have you been upset at a friend for not understanding what you needed in the moment and giving that to you? They were needy when you needed them, you needed them to be strong. They were down when you wanted them to be up. They were blind to some things you really thought that they should have seen. See, selfishness says, well, you know, I better reevaluate this relationship. I'm just not getting that much out of it. Love says, I'm not here to get stuff out of it. I'm not insisting on getting my way. Ultimately, I'm, I'm here to serve, not to be served. Verse five, love is not irritable. Irritable means easily triggered. Because self-centeredness sees the world primarily through the lens of what it needs and what it wants, it's quick to get angry when you don't fulfill its desires. But see, love doesn't think through that filter. So love is more patient when you frustrate or disappoint them. Love is not resentful, Paul says. Resentful literally means it keeps no record of wrongs. In fact, if you have the NIV translation, that's literally what it says. Love keeps no record of wrongs. When somebody hurts or disappoints you, are you the kind of person who drags up all the previous ways that they've let you down and connected in one gigantic thing that gets tried in this one moment? Some people, when they get angered, they get hysterical. Others get historical well, you did this and that connects to that previous time where you did this. And then there was that time in 2009 that you said that. And your mom told me that when you were in high school, you did this. I, I know spouses who actually keep journals of the ways their spouses have disappointed them. Oh yeah, that's setting up for a great marriage. <laughs> now, some of you don't do that because you keep it all up here. But the point is, you, do, do you see how out of step you are with 1 Corinthians 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Past wrongs are like spent ammunition, bullets that cannot be fired again. Verse six, love, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. Love never delights when somebody else struggles and it cares enough to speak up when a friend is doing something that's gonna hurt them. Now, some personalities have more problem with verse five. Other personalities have more problem with verse six. That's me and my wife. I feel like I need to confront everything. I feel like I can't let anything go by and I got trouble, you know, just kind of letting things go along. Veronica has more difficulty confronting somebody even when she knows what they're doing is harmful to themselves. So the question verse six presents to somebody like that is, hey, do you love somebody enough to speak into their life even though you know it's gonna be wicked uncomfortable for you? And you know, they're probably gonna be upset at you because you did it and maybe even cut you off for a while. Do you care enough about that person to be uncomfortable? Because fake friendship doesn't ever care enough to confront because fake friendship loves its own comfort more than it loves the well-being of the other person. Verse seven, love bears all things. When you love somebody, you patiently endure the wounds of their selfishness and immaturity. You kind of expect it. You know that real change takes time. I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you, none of the big changes in my life came because somebody had one conversation with me or I heard one sermon or read one book or I saw one post on somebody's Facebook. No, the big changes were the result of somebody faithfully sowing seeds of truth in the soil of unconditional love. And the people that I listen to most now in my life are those whom I know have locked the back door, so to speak, in our relationship meaning they have just made clear to me that they're not leaving, that our relationship is not conditioned on me getting everything right. They know that I'm gonna disappoint them and frustrate them, but they're mine for life. And that means they're gonna have to bear with a lot of my, my, my dumbness and my immaturity because it may take a while for me to change. Love bears all things. Love is used to feeling underappreciated. C.S. Lewis was asked in his book, The Four Loves, or at least he answers this question in the book, The Four Loves, he said, how do you know if your friendship is selfish? C.S. Lewis answered, if you get upset when the gratitude does not come and you give up. Lewis went on to say, if you do good things for your friends in the hopes that they will see what you are doing and appreciate you, you're gonna be mighty disappointed. Love bears all things. Verse seven, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Let me put these two together. Love never gives up hope for this person. Love never stops believing in who this person could be or who God created them to be. Paul, of course, is not talking here, hear me, about some silly, naive optimism where you just refuse to see somebody else's faults. No, 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 you see their faults, you just won't give up on what God could do in them. Because you see behind all that mess, you see what God created them to be. You perceive that. And you think about what he could recreate them to be. Think about a good dad with his child. A good dad may clearly see the child's fault, maybe better than everybody else, but they never stop believing in this amazing person and what, what they could be. Many of us dads, we make the mistake of spending so much time focused on telling our kids what's wrong with them and not nearly enough time believing in the person that God made them to be and communicating that to them. A mentor of mine, when I first had kids, warned me. He said, this is probably gonna be your biggest mistake as a parent. He said, you're gonna to try to pastor your kids instead of being their dad. He said, here's the thing, you'll probably be spot on in your correction. But a dad is somebody primarily who's just excited about who they are. 
The dad is the one that's putting that crown over their head and, and, and praising them. The pastor is the one leading devotions around the table at night. The dad is the one cheering his heart out at the ball game. He said, make sure what they remember, what they remember from their childhood is a dad who was excited about who they are and amazed at how God made them. Now, obviously, obviously as a dad, you're gonna give them instruction, but love says, what I most want you to remember about me, what I most want you to say about me is nobody ever believed in me like he did. And when everybody else was discouraged, he wouldn't give up because love believes all things and hopes all things. When everybody else in your life feels like this about you, well, my dad was like this about me. So when he says that, he doesn't mean a naive optimist. And I'll tell you something else he doesn't mean. He also doesn't mean that you are overly credulous in whatever this person says is true about them. Like, you know, they say, well, I'm not struggling with this. I'm not doing this. And you think, oh, okay, well, I'll just take your word for it because I love believes all things. No, no, sometimes love cares enough to ask the hard questions. It cares enough to ask the hard questions so that it can really press down and get into the truth. It's just that in doing that, in doing that, um, asking the hard questions, you are, are trying to expose what they're hiding, but you never stop believing. What do we do, for example, when a woman says to us that her husband is abusing her, but he denies it? Do we say, well, love believes all things, so we're just gonna automatically give this guy the, the, the benefit of the doubt? Well, I mean, what about her? What about her? I mean, why would we not give her the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe it was really hard for her to bring this forward? Love does not naively close its eyes when difficult questions are in order. Love believes all things and hopes all things. What that means is that love never stops recognizing the incredible creation that God made this person to be or giving up hope of what God can do in their lives because love realizes that we serve a savior who prayed for forgiveness of the ones that were nailing him to a cross, which means that he hasn't given up hope on this person either. And we serve a savior who raised from the dead. And that means that there's nothing he can't fix, redeem or heal. And that means no matter who I'm talking to, there is hope for this person because if there's an empty tomb, there's hope for you. And love believes those things for them. Last quality of love, verse seven, love endures all things. Again, it just means it never gives up. It can't give up. It can't give up. It's bound its heart to yours and it cannot be happy until you've been completed in joy. So there it is. There it is. There's your 15 part description of love. We're so glad you could be with us today. For more resources from Pastor J.D., please be sure to check out jdgreer.com. And while you're there, sign up for our email newsletters. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with Pastor J.D.'s latest blog posts, podcasts, all kinds of other stuff. And we'll also make sure that you never miss a new resource or series. It's quick and easy to sign up. Go to jdgreer.com and sign up today. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.